welcome to Thriving as a Physician, the podcast that teaches you to thrive in your weight loss and life while juggling a packed physician schedule, because you deserve to thrive. Each week, I share sustainable, enjoyable tools that work in your busy life so that you can reach all of your goals faster with more confidence. Everything in this podcast is backed by my experience as an obesity medicine physician, years of coaching physicians on weight loss and eating, and my own personal weight loss journey. Let's get thriving. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss for physicians. I am not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace the need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing. Hello and welcome to episode 233 of the Thriving as a Physician podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Key. I have an exciting episode for you today. For all of you who do some sort of work with medical learners, med students, or residents, you know that at times that can create stress, trying to fit in how do you teach as well as do all these other roles that we need to do in the day can create stress. And that stress can lead to you feeling more worn out by the end of the day and ending up struggling with your eating at the end of the day. So I'm really excited to have Dr. Tanya Kaler with me today talking about how do you manage yourself and make your experience better when you are involved in learners. And I think this is going to go a long way to thriving as a physician because Almost all of us have some contact with learners at some point, but also when you learn these skills that we're talking about in this interview, it's going to help you with your eating. Now, if you are a physician and you're sick of being on diets all the time and you can't figure out why you can't lose weight, even though you know what to do, you just can't get yourself to do it, then I can help. I'm here to help. This podcast is a fantastic place to start, but the reality is there's a lot of different subtleties in our lives that getting direct coaching is a much more powerful place to create change for yourself. If you are ready for a different approach that does not involve restriction, doesn't involve more diets, and actually makes your life better, then head over to weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca, click on the work with me tab, and fill out an application. This application is your opportunity to tell me about yourself and your specific challenges And then you will hear from me with an invite to book a call where we can talk directly. When we talk directly, it's about making sure I understand what's going on for you and talking about how I would approach it and how I could help you in order for you to make the best decision for yourself on if the programs I offer are the best fit for you. So head over to weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca click on the work with me tab, and then fill out an application form. All right, let's get to the interview. Hello, and welcome to the show. How are you doing today, Tanya? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Let's start by getting you to introduce yourself to everybody listening. Who are you? What do you do? Why are you here? (laughs) 
<laughs> Great questions. So I'm Tanya Kaler. I am a family physician and academic physician coach up in Anchorage, Alaska. I primarily coach with family medicine residency programs, both faculty and residents, because I really think that is going to be how we sustain and have a culture change of flourishing physicians. And so that's who I am and what I do. And why I'm here is because I love talking with you and you're an inspiration to all the people that know you. And so I'm really happy to talk with your audience about where our passions overlap. Yeah, which I think this is going to be such a good topic because the reality of our lives as physicians in most scenarios, we have some contact with learners. And sometimes that can really feel like it's this extra strain put on an already busy day. And some of us have a lot of contact with learners, like you never get free of them. (laughs) Whereas other, like for me right now, it's more fleeting contact. But I think talking about how can we approach that as physicians and make that experience really good for ourselves, as well as making it good for the learner, obviously, But supporting ourselves in that, I think, is a really important thing to talk about. Yeah. So everyone from, let's say, community preceptors who like host students or residents in their regular busy clinic, that's kind of a different approach than, say, core faculty and the various stressors that they face balancing the many hats and a whole new skill set of being an educator. So which one do you want to take first? Why don't we build up to the core faculty? Because people listening to this podcast are going to have a range of experiences. So let's start with what the majority of people will have had some experience with or will continue to have some experience. And then we'll kind of build up to the ones that are more specific for physicians that are really in a medical education role. So if I dread, let's start from the beginning. And I'm saying this hypothetically, guys. But If I'm a physician who dreads the idea of having a learner or like when you know, sometimes I do do this when I'm on OBS and you show up and you're like, oh, there's a learner on with me. And you just, it just feels you're tired to start with. Where do I go from there? Well, first, I think that it's so good that you are keyed in to the emotion, right? And we can have that emotion without judgment because usually what happens is we'll show up, we feel dread, and then we're like, I'm a terrible human being for dreading, right? So kind of just approaching that, of course, we're busy and we don't do this all the time as community preceptors. And so our routines are not yet smooth with a trainee there. So that's all that's happened. And at the same time, kind of looking at what is rejuvenating about having either a medical student or resident working with you, like pointing your brain in what you can enjoy about this interaction. I think that's a great place to start. I really like that because it's easy to forget that they bring something to the table to us. It's so easy, especially if you might be feeling a bit burnt out or overwhelmed to think about things that kind of take away, like the time or the extra energy talking. So focusing on what is it that they help bring to you is, I think, a really good idea. Yeah, I think also going from there is... You know, there's some strategy involved, right? Depending on the level of training, if it's a resident that's rotating with you, they actually have a really great foundational skill set. They can go ahead and be getting a lot of history and physical before, while you're finishing up a chart or finishing up with a patient and actually can get a lot of the work done for you. A lot of times they can contribute to a note depending on how your EMR is set up. And so if you use just a little bit of strategy, it can be a win-win. They get this independent piece of using their skill set. 
and they get your knowledge on the back end. And so you're giving of your time to share your knowledge and wisdom with them. At the same time, you are leveraging having an extra body that can do some of the work for you at the same time. So it really can be a mutually beneficial time with a little bit of strategy. What do you recommend for people that find it hard to let go and let the learner be independent? Where they worry about doing that. Do you mean that there are doctors that have problems with control? I know it's odd. I feel like they're just, for that one person listening. Maybe one or two. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Every single one of us, I'm just as guilty, right? Yeah. And so I think that's really, it's a trust the process piece. You know, we ask trainees to trust the process all the time when things don't make sense to them. And now we need to kind of tell ourselves that. Let's just trust the process. They go in, the vast majority of trainees are not going to cause any problems for you. They're going to talk to your patient. They're going to examine the patient. They're going to come back and talk to you about what they think is going on, what they think needs to be done. And so letting go of that piece, and then you can walk back in the room. And if there's something that you're thinking, you know, most residents at this level really don't know how to do X, Y, and Z exam well. So you repeat that part of this exam while they get to see you do it differently, right? And so by giving them a little bit of latitude, it doesn't mean that you have lost control of what is going to happen with that patient. And so I think that's one key thing to remember. I have all these questions coming up. I'm just, what I'm thinking about here is all the scenarios that we've like faced in our own hospital and in our own clinic. But what about the challenging resident or med student? And you know, the ones that I've struggled with the most would be the ones that it's not always a knowledge challenge. Sometimes it's more on the kind of personality behavior challenge side. And understanding, again, we're not talking about like how necessarily how to educate, but how to manage ourselves when we're in a scenario where we perceive challenges with the particular learner that we're working with. Yeah. And so I think this is really important because this is an ever-changing definition of, let's say, professionalism, because some of those things fit in there. And I think that this is not necessarily an easy thing. And so if you're a community preceptor who's working with a medical student like once a week, I mean, it may just, you may or may not choose to interact and have a meaningful, deeper conversation around what you're observing with them, because it may be that you're just seeing them on an off day, right? But you may want to have interaction with the person that's coordinating, the faculty member who's coordinating the rotations, just so they can see if there's a pattern, because core faculty really are skilled and really get to know the trainees on a much deeper level to know if there's a pattern or not. And they also are best suited to kind of work through with the learner. And I will say it is definitely challenging. I think one of the, I just was recently talking to a a faculty member and what she realized is when she goes to curiosity instead of judgment, number one, she gets a lot more understanding of what the resident is or medical student is experiencing and how they're experiencing it to better be able to give them strategies to overcome. And she remarked that when she switches to that curiosity, it actually makes it a lot more enjoyable. And who can't use a little more joy in their job, right? So I think it is definitely a challenge. And so depending on your level of interaction and supervision level, it may be worth, you may be, if you're a community preceptor, you may be 
the best person to kind of, maybe you feel a little bit more safe, right? Maybe you don't have to necessarily, you can have those more mentoring conversations, you know, over lunch or at the end of the day and just say, ask them, how did you experience today? I noticed that you X, Y, and Z, what was going on when you were doing that? Because there's so many drivers of behavior that can show up in a way that we perceive that is completely different than the intention behind it. And so just getting curious, asking questions, and then pointing out how, do you understand how this may have been perceived by the patient? And not in a judgmental condemnation way, but just helping them open up and see things for themselves is a much more powerful way for them to gain insight to kind of course correct. Yeah, I really like that because it's very easy, especially like if I think in a community setting where you've got your own day sheet to be seeing and you're super busy and you don't agree or not like obviously we're going to talk if we don't agree, but like you don't love what the learner is doing and it's so easy to just get into that judgment place where you're like, they're not doing it right. Why don't they ever do it right? It's easy to do this in lots of areas of our life, guys. <laughs> like so many so places true. we do this. <laughs> like our partners. I, mean, I just did a Facebook Live in the Thriving as a Physician Facebook group, the free Facebook group I offer with Jesse Mahoney. And essentially we were talking about this thing with partners. <laughs> like, why aren't yes. they doing that right? Yes. You know, if we can get to the place of, like, I like the idea of asking what their experience was and how they saw the day or the situation and then understanding what might have been going on for them and why they might have chosen to do it that way. Yeah. Also, you get a lot of insight because we now have a lot better understanding of burnout, right? And all of the stressors that even our trainees face. It used to be that we thought it was always, you know, mid-career and later that seemed to kind of get to that burnout stage. But and obviously now it's happening earlier and earlier and many residents experience it. But when we're really focusing on well-being, some of the things that we see that annoy us in their behavior or their actions may actually be warning signs of either burnout, which is an occupational issue, or depression, anxiety, PTSD. And and so by taking that curious curiosity approach, it really allows for the individual to really kind of think through themselves because they may not even be aware of how their behaviors is coming out. I think that's such a important point in recognizing. And a question that came up while you're saying that is, there's still, you hear it in, and I think we all do this, right? Like the old person talk for those of us who had been in practice for a while of like, well, back when I was a resident, <laughs> we did this and this and they have it so easy now is usually how the conversation goes. But can you speak to that a little bit about the changes that have occurred in how we train our learners and why? From a wellness perspective. I mean, I think there's so much there to talk about. Like, let's start with work hour rules, which were the first things that happened after a lot of us trained, right? There was a lot of backlash about, why are they getting it off so easy? In my day, we worked, you know, 72 hours straight and never got food, you know, whatever it was, which was honestly barbaric and true, right? And kind of losing, I love how Brene Brown talks about, there's, there's no such thing as comparative suffering. It is not a useful reflection on comparing somebody suffering. Is There's unlimited suffering. Like just because you suffered doesn't mean you're taking, right? They're not taking away from your suffering, right? And I like to think of it this way. Like 
there's a lot of great evidence about sleep and sleep deprivation and not only safety, but also related to burnout and related to depression. Also related to learning. Oh my goodness, they're here to learn, right? And so interrupted sleep, we actually have great data. This is not a great way to learn. And which is their primary reason for going through training, right? And so I think getting back to understanding that and understanding that there's no use in trying to have comparative suffering, I think it's what's most important is just like we do in DEI work, right? We we try to understand that our experience is not how somebody else has gone through life and had their experiences. And so if we could just take that just a little bit and realize what the resident is experiencing is their lived experience. And so we just need to meet them where they are and lose all the old stories about, you know, our war stories, right? That it doesn't serve them and it doesn't make them feel better (laughs) at all. And I will say the challenges they're facing, even prior to all the craziness with COVID and how disruptive that was to the educational process, But the EMR has gotten more complex, right? Or number one, there is an EMR. Number two, it's gotten more complex. There's been more things onloaded back to the physician instead of administrative support and clinical support staff. The amount of knowledge is exploding. Like when I trained, yeah, there was a ton to learn, especially in family medicine, right? But now, like just talking to an ophthalmologist the other day, and they're talking about how it's difficult to keep up with every single subspecialty in ophthalmology with all the new evidence coming out. And like, that's the eye, right? And so our residents are faced with a monumental amount of learning. And I think we have to shift our expectations and we have to shift our evaluation process. Like, do they know how to get the information they need at the point of care? Right. And so I think there's a lot of things that they're facing that are different than what we faced, not better, not worse, just different. And we as educators have to learn to pivot to meet that need. Yeah, I really like that. Because again, if we go back to that judgment and curiosity, right? Like if you're viewing a resident with, or just a group of residents or medical students with a judgment of they have it so easy, it's going to be hard to have the curiosity of like, I wonder what's going on for them when. They're not quite matching my expectations of how this would have been done. It'll be easier to hold on to the story of, that's because they have so easy. (laughs) And not get curious, right? And that story of, they all have it so easy. And I see this happening of, you hear it too, right? Like the newer generations are different. They don't have the same ethic. There's all sorts of stuff like that, or work ethic is what I should say. But it doesn't matter because most of us, would not want to redo our medical training if we were offered a choice because it, it was hard. Not in the same manner. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, that, yeah, like the conditions that we trained under, but also the way the culture has handled it that we're kind of standing from and looking when we say these things, looking back and thinking it should still conform to is a culture that's leading to all of us getting burnt out and feeling dissatisfied and leading to mental health issues and of course, younger generations should do it differently because we don't want them to do that too, right? Right. I love that. It, that's such a great, like, broader perspective. And I just want to extend, like, that same amount of compassion to the core faculty and the program directors and the chairs of the department because the amount of bureaucracy has exploded 
you know, new faculty really excited to train the next generation, get there and realize, oh, it's a whole new skill set to be an educator, right? And they didn't get the training. And so there's also 1 million and 10 things that will be asked of them on every single day in various ways as core faculty and getting to the point where we let go of that, being able to check all the boxes before you go home at night, the work is always going to be there, kind of embracing the discomfort that's going to go along with that. I think it's going to go, like just extending the educators the piece of compassion for themselves because their jobs also are completely stressful, you know? And I think that's where we see all those old patterns that we, most of us learned in training, that maladaptive perfectionism, that all or nothing thinking, that over-reliance on external validation, that performance identity, all the things that we use to get us through medical school and residency and we take into our faculty roles, those things just cause us so much unnecessary suffering in an already challenging system. And so having compassion for yourself, I I think goes a, a long way for the faculty members as well. Let's talk more about for people who are in a faculty position. And this is a little bit outside of my zone of personal knowledge because I've never been in an official faculty position. But what are the other things that they struggle with or other tips that you can offer for people who are trying to juggle it all? Yeah, I think number one, I think going back to those maladaptive tendencies that we have developed over the years and kind of starting to slowly dismantle those, turn down the perfectionism just a little bit, lose that all or nothing thinking all the checkboxes are not going to get done. You get to choose the most important to you and get what you can done. I think those are some some tips. I think we also see the things that really rejuvenate core faculty, they're various, right? Different things for different people. And those are the things that often those projects that bring meaning to their work are often the things that get put on the back burner. So not only does self-care for faculty, just like every other physician, get put on the back burner, but the meaning and work, those projects that really give them joy, they also get put on the back burner to do the, quote, most urgent things. So starting to learn about just because it's urgent doesn't mean it is important, right? So those notifications and text messages and like everything that your brain classifies as urgent does not have to be done by you or right now. So kind of getting clear so you can separate and create room to schedule those most important projects and have those meaningful things to continue to enjoy your job, right? So I think that would be one of the tips I would give. And other tips, you know, I think of just practical things. I heard Dr. Julia Files, who is a leader in academic medicine and just practical tips of like efficiency for yourself. So like if you're preparing a table talk rounds discussion, go ahead and keep your notes because then it'd be really easy to pull that into a PowerPoint to do a more formal presentation. And if you're making a PowerPoint presentation, go ahead and put your references on the slide because then it makes it easier to turn into a publication or a national presentation. And so, so you're not duplicating work. So there's some practical tips along that way. And then I think of people like Dr. Sasha Shilkut, you know, who talks about when it comes to the citizenship portion that academic physicians as part of your, you know, promotion packages, they look at your citizenship and your scholarly activity and all of those things. But like really how inequitable 
those tasks are and really getting clear on which things you want to be involved in for citizenship and not just to put a check mark on the box because that always comes out of unscheduled time. You know, those early morning meetings, those late evening meetings. And so I, I think just being really clear on how much you're going to do with that and putting really good boundaries up for yourself so you can enjoy the rest of your life even as you enjoy your career. Yeah, I think those are really good tips. I'm thinking of some of the program directors and stuff that I've worked with over the years. And often some of the big stresses come from kind of changes, like needing to create change and get it accomplished and on top of an already full practice and and work schedule. And so then if, you know, there needs to be a change to the curriculum or how something's done within the program, that's always or often an extra. What are your thoughts on if somebody finds himself in one of those positions on managing that type of stress? Yeah, those trying to lead effective change, whether that's cultural change or curricular change or systems change, those can be incredibly stressful. And I think, number one, making sure you schedule your self-care because thinking of it as a marathon, right? And so we wouldn't expect anybody to go out and run a marathon without taking their hydration and all of that along the way. So make sure you pace yourself so you have rest and recovery. And I think really getting clear on your why, who are the stakeholders that need to be involved in the conversations, There's several change models out there, Cutter's Eight Steps of Change and a couple of other frameworks, one for curriculum, I'm blanking on the name of it. They kind of like walk you through steps, but basically it's taking those big things and breaking them down into really small, tangible steps for two reasons. Number one, it can seem overwhelming if you're trying to do a lot of big change. So we we make it more approachable. And number two, setting ourselves up for small wins to do to accomplish one step forward at a time, we really get that dopamine reward and building in the momentum so we don't lose that motivation that's leading us. But I think also the team-based approach, repeating and having lots of conversations with all the stakeholders multiple times in multiple ways, and just accepting that that is going to be part of the process. But you're right, leading change is incredibly challenging. And I want to kind of tie this back to one of the things that we talked about earlier when we're talking about how it's so easy to get caught up in the venting about trainees or the hospital administration or whatever it is that we're at the moment being tempted to vent about because they really are, can be very challenging, is we are part of the culture. And we create, we co-create the culture. And so rather staying in that victim mode that everybody should fix the culture, remembering that how we speak, where we let our mind wander, how we show up in the world affects the culture and deciding like sometimes you're going to want to vent and that's fine, but like how much and to whom about what, because you want to be mindful that you are co-creating the culture that you're in. So I hope that's helpful. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful point to finish up with and very valid for both those of us working with learners, but also just in general in life, right? Where can people find you if they want to learn more about what you do? My website is joyandfamilymedicine.com. And uh, you can find, you can reach my contact or set up a a face-to-face with me virtually uh, through my website. And I partner with Family Medicine Residencies 
and occasionally individual faculty members or residents when their residency program is not quite ready to hire an external coach. So yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you for coming on. All right. So many good nuggets of knowledge in that interview. I really enjoyed talking to Tanya about her experiences because it's a very different experience than what I've had. I've worked with learners, but I've never been involved directly as a preceptor on an ongoing basis in our program. So it's really interesting to hear a different side of the story. And I hope that was helpful for a lot of you who do work with learners on a regular basis. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast episode, please reach out, send me an email at info at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. And I mentioned it in this episode, but if you are not a member of the Thriving as a Physician Facebook group, it's free Facebook group for physicians only, then come over and join us. I mentioned that I did a live interview with Dr. Jesse Mahoney talking about relationships, and there are some powerful tips in that. And the replay is inside the group. You can access it just by requesting access to the group. So head over to Facebook, search Thriving as a Physician, and the group will come up and you just have to request access. All right. Have a fantastic day, guys. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.